Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Great news, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely unbelievable news. Sensational news straight from the horse's mouth, as you might say. Harry and Meghan have apparently decided they've got nothing left to say. They've said it all. Uh, They've talked about the royal family. They've talked about the racism they face. They've talked about the struggles they've had uh, moving from Montecito uh, to Santa Barbara, back to Hollywood, uh, back up to uh, Washington. It's all been a nightmare for them, but it's all over now, apparently. No more Netflix, no more spare books, no more writings, no more rantings, no more lectures, no more podcasts. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nada. Zilch. The the whole thing has crumbled around them. Harry and Meghan have basically come to the end of their tether. And thank goodness for that. And all I can say is salute. Uh, It was great knowing you. And we look forward to never hearing from you ever again. (laughs) But somehow, I don't really think that's going to happen. But we'll talk to Angela Levin later on and find out if it could actually possibly be true. Meanwhile, over at ITV Towers, uh, things have taken a bit of a turn for the worse because uh, they're now being called a humiliated television station. Uh, they forced to order an external inquiry with a barrister to find out what went wrong. Uh, the first question is going to be, so, uh, when you did your internal inquiry, what happened exactly? Well, uh, we had a look around and we asked a few people if anything was true and they said it wasn't. And that was the end of the inquiry. Uh, thank you very much indeed. We hoped that would be enough to keep a lid on it, but in fact, that doesn't seem to have worked very well. So now we're going to have an external inquiry, uh, which means that we're going to have to have all sorts of people asking all sorts of awkward questions to people um, like Carolyn McCall, who is, of course, the CEO of ITV. Uh, first question to her is, uh, when did you know that uh, uh, Philip Schofield was up to no good? Uh, and what did you do about it? Sorry? Um, I think I might need a lawyer to answer that one. Uh, what about uh, Holly Willoughby? When did you first learn that uh, Philip Schofield was up to no good and what did you do about it? Well, sorry, I don't think I need to answer that question. This is all going to be great fun, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, we will bring it to you all right here, of course, on Talk TV. Isabel Oakeshott is with us. Uh, she's going to kick things off with Boris Johnson and his WhatsApps. He decided yesterday to give all of his WhatsApps to the COVID inquiry, which apparently might embarrass one or two people who are currently in the Cabinet. Jerry Hayes joins us as well uh, to find out what this internal inquiry is. Also, we're going to start asking questions of Dale Vince. How is it possible for him to continue to bankroll Just Stop Oil, who at the moment are trying to stop the England cricket team from getting to Lords, basically, um, and they commit criminal acts and he continues to bankroll it? Surely there must be something wrong with that. Uh, we're also going to talk, of course, to Ben Habib. Uh, apparently Bulgaria is now going to help us with our uh, immigration problems. Simon Calder joins us to talk about uh, the train strikes and what's going on. There's so much going on. I don't know if we're going to be able to fit it all into three hours, but we're going to do our best. Level best. We'll take your calls as well. 0344 499 1000. Bye-bye, Harry and Megan. This is Talk TV. And here we are. Welcome 
uh, to Thursday morning uh, on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's say a very good morning to Talk TV's international editor, Isabel Oakshaw. Isabel, how are you doing? Morning. Well, I can tell you're in a good mood because of the Harry and Meghan thing. Well, I've got a bit of a spring in my step. I mean, much as I don't actually believe this particular latest statement, it does fill me with joy that we'll never hear from them ever again, even if I can only hold on to that for sort of, you know, two days. And I thought that both of them had book deals. I mean, Harry's book deal was supposed to be a two-parter, was it Mm. not? Um, And I had understood that she also had a book coming out. So. If those have been cancelled, it shows just how stung they've been by the global backlash against their global scale whinge fest. <laughs> well, I think it's probably true to say that they've got nothing left to say. I think we've all talked about it endlessly, haven't we, on various shows on Talk TV, that there can't be anything left for him to write about, surely to God. I mean, all of the revelations that we found out in spare that we didn't want. Um, I can't imagine that there's anything that he didn't put in there. And the same goes oh, for her. Oh, I don't know. I think there's plenty more that they could say, I mean, he hasn't yet written about the funeral. As far as we know, he didn't arrive with a secret camera and a recording device. But, I mean, who knows? I, I mean, maybe more. maybe you should apply to see whether he wants to share his WhatsApp messages with you and see what you can make of those. Now, that is a very, very fine idea. I mean, we haven't had Car- Harry and Meghan the lockdown experience. No, the lockdown years. Um, Exactly that. So I think there's I think there's so many more things. And then we could have Megan's parenting book, you know, how to be a, a really woke parent yeah. in, in California or wherever it is they are by by then. Um, I can see plenty, plenty more scope. Yeah, I'm sure that we can. We're going to talk to Andrew Levin a bit more about it later on today, but I wanted to get your reaction to it, first of all. Let's talk about um, matters closer to home for the moment. Boris Johnson, I think in a rather surprise move yesterday, decided to give over all of the WhatsApp messages, more or less revealing that it wasn't he who was trying to stop them from being given to the COVID inquiry. It was actually the Cabinet Office. I thought that was a very, very interesting move by Boris Johnson. Uh, The messages that I've seen between Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock and between Boris Johnson and and his key advisers uh, are not perhaps as embarrassing and kind of indiscreet as you might expect. Mm. They broadly paint the picture of somebody who is... um, essentially agonising over what is the best thing to do, uh, continually mulling over in his own mind as to whether he's getting the balance right between uh, maintaining fundamental freedoms and uh, protecting people from this dreadful disease. And you can see him under intense pressure uh, from the then Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, uh, backed up by the scientist and, and chief medical officer, Uh, essentially saying, look, Boris, continually you need to look at this latest data, these graphs of doom, uh, and if we don't act, everybody's going to die. Obviously, Mm. I'm paraphrasing here. So I am not sure that he really has so much to lose by taking a lead on this one. I think what he's done is honourable, unusual to to use that that word in relation to Boris Johnson. Uh, But he is taking a a stand here and saying, look, the COVID inquiry needs to see this stuff. And make no mistake, it really does need to see this stuff. Mm. This story isn't going away. And I'll tell you why, because the first phase of the COVID inquiry only covers uh, quite a limited um, number of subjects. For example, it doesn't look at the care home 
issue at all. That is due to fall at a later in a later module yeah. of very protracted uh, and immensely expensive investigation. So on the list of WhatsApps that the judge has hitherto asked for is not, for example, WhatsApp messages from the then care home minister, Helen Wakeley, mm. uh, between her and other key figures. If they're going to be looking at care homes later, I think the judge will need to ask for her WhatsApp messages. She's not currently on the list of requests. Right. And so um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Boris Johnson has always had, one of the things people forget about him, he's always had this capability of surprising people. And he's done it again by suddenly appearing to be the one who's actually more willing to share, to share his private messages than anybody else's. Because there's been an awful lot of sort of bumping of gums, as they used to say in Scotland, uh, by some of these cabinet ministers who are like, oh, well, we don't want to give them anything that's irrelevant. Well, you know, that's not really for you to say, is it? Well, it's pretty insulting to the to the judge uh, to suggest that she isn't capable of discerning what's mm. relevant and, and what isn't right. relevant. I mean, undoubtedly, these WhatsApp files will contain an awful lot of um, stuff that you and I and many of our listeners might find wonderful entertainment, mm. very gossipy, lots of kind of um, Westminster stuff and uh, personalities and even some personal stuff that, that doesn't have any place in the COVID inquiry. But actually, I, I've said this before, I suspect that they are the single most valuable source, the single richest insight into what really happened, the real reasons decisions were taken, how they were taken, what drove those decisions, and who was applying what pressures on who. Mm. Uh, you're just not going to get that from the cleansed official civil service records at the time. The truth is that a vast amount of government business on a day-to-day -day basis during the pandemic was conducted by WhatsApp. Mm. Therefore, we need to see them. Yeah, indeed. And you've also raised the spectre um, of the second phone. Um, which, as we know, uh, all untrustworthy people have at least two phones uh, on the basis that one person can't find whatever it is they're doing on the other phone. I mean, I've, I'm obviously missing a trick here. I haven't find it hard enough not to lose one phone, yeah. never mind having two. Um, I didn't actually mean to imply anything particularly untoward mm. in second phone. It is just simply that of the WhatsApp messages I've seen, um, some are described as from Boris Johnson old phone and, and the second ones are from a different number. Yes. So I was just pointing out that there may well be at least two phones. Mm. There might be more than that. And I'm assuming that he's given all of those messages. I've no reason to believe that he hasn't. I think it's a blinding move by Boris Johnson. He's put Rishi Sunak under mm. extraordinary pressure. Uh, and I do think that the Cabinet Office, who will ultimately uh, answer to Rishi Sunak on this one, are going to have to cave this afternoon. Yeah, I think they are absolutely going to have to. I seem to remember, and I don't know if you, if you remember this as well, that when Boris became Prime Minister, or certainly when he became leader of the party, he had the same phone that he'd always had. So everyone that had always contacted him as a journalist or, you know, for, for a quote on a story when he was somebody slightly less important... Everybody had the, say, had the numbers, so people were like texting and ringing him all the time. And I think that was why he ended up getting the second phone. I'm sure that's right. It, it does happen um, to all prime ministers. I seem to remember it with a, a previous prime minister. We've had so many lately, I can't remember which one it was. But I do remember that 
uh, cabinet ministers were getting quite frustrated that they weren't actually able to contact the then prime minister yeah. because they kept changing their phone. Um, either because they, they just were fed up of being contacted by the cabinet, you know, old fashioned things like cabinet responsibility, uh, perhaps was a little inconvenient. But this does happen. Yes, absolutely right. Stay with us, if you would, Isabel. I want to come back and talk to you a little bit about um, Rishi Sunak and his inheritance tax and also Oxford applications at a 20 year low. Um, maybe after what we saw at the Oxford Union the other day. Uh, that's not a bad thing, but we'll talk about that. Plus much else besides uh, Isabel Oakeshott and myself coming next on Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, interesting couple of tweets that have come in. I'm talking to the bloke shot. Gabby says this, Mike, the reason why Sunak doesn't want to provide all the WhatsApp messages uh, is possibly because he was organising a coup. Also, can we have the exchange of WhatsApp messages between Sue Gray and Keir Starmer or any other front bench shadow minister? Uh, also, the Independent says messages would be good as well during the lockdown uh, of the pandemic. All of that's very interesting stuff. I mean, what are the rules around all that, Isabel, as far as you know? I mean, who could ask for uh, the, the messages between Keir Starmer and Sue Gray, if anybody could? Well, not the judge in this case. I mean, this is a unique um, set of circumstances in the sense that this is a judge-led inquiry which comes with various uh, rights mm. that the judge has. She actually has various powers, which ultimately um, can be enforced under threat of uh, a fairly limited fine and actual imprisonment. Yeah. Um, so... That wouldn't cover anything to do with Sue Gray and Keir Starmer, which I agree is a really interesting thought. Mm. Uh, another thing just to um, throw out there is that the judge has focused her request on WhatsApps, and that is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, but we shouldn't forget that there are other messaging platforms, uh, for example, Telegram, which may have been used by ministers for other secret chats. The other thing that I've noticed, um, actually within the last few days in my um, correspondence with my own contacts at Westminster, is they've all started using disappearing messages. Yes. Wonder why? Yeah, isn't that interesting? And of course, you can't now screenshot things on WhatsApp because there used to be a time when people said, oh, it doesn't matter, you just screenshot it. But now they've actually put a, a, a new encryption really? method in. Yeah, and you can't. So if somebody I sends like, you... I feel like I've got to test that. Are you sure? Well, I'm pretty sure that's true. Yes. I'm pretty sure um, that's true. If, um, if you try and screenshot something which has been made to disappear, it will come well, up with a well, warning. I've just screenshot normal WhatsApp, right. so I don't know about whether if, if yeah, you can special. you can do that. But if one but if a message comes in which is which is going which is destined to disappear, maybe I should right. try and send you one even as we're on the air. Um, yes, a and, bit of a live uh, test here. <laughs> and we'll see if we can do that. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't let you. Basically, is is, is the point? Yeah, basically says I'm looking at one um, quite senior government figure here. New messages will disappear from this chat 24 hours after they're sent, except when kept. Right. I don't know. But anyway, look, they'll always find some way around it. Um, but I think that in the heat of the pandemic, um, they weren't really, not all of them were thinking about uh, how much might come out later. Mm. Um, I mean, quite frustratingly, some key figures like Michael Gove, who was one of the primary movers and drivers behind endless unnecessary lockdowns uh, didn't actually commit a lot to WhatsApp, certainly in relation uh, to all I know about, which is his exchanges with Matt Hancock, um, either because he's too clever uh, or because the two of them were continually 
on the phone, mm. stitching up uh, the nation, as I would see it anyway. Um, so it's not the be all and end all. It doesn't answer every question, but I think it goes a long way mm. to fill Yes. yes. Front page of the Telegraph this morning, a scrap unfair inheritance <laughs> tax. MPs are telling uh, Rishi Sunak, 50 Conservative MPs are going to say that the inheritance tax is morally wrong. I mean, it's another one of these rather non-Conservative taxes that's been brought in, uh, which should probably disappear, shouldn't it? I actually feel really strongly about this one, not least because it is yet another example of um, so many broken promises mm. by the Conservative Party. Um, you might remember, some listeners may remember, way back before the Conservatives came to power, it would have been in about 2008, um, a totemic promise um, from the then um, Conservative Opposition Party uh, to raise the threshold for inheritance tax to one million mm. uh, actually changed the course of history. It freaked out Gordon Brown at the time. Labour went into a panic uh, and it plays a key role in them not actually holding a snap election mm. uh, they were thinking of doing. Unfortunately for the nation, um, the Conservatives subsequently completely abandoned that idea. And what's even worse is that the threshold for paying inheritance tax hasn't budged since about 2011. So the real terms um, sort of value of that threshold has absolutely mm. plummeted, drawing lots and lots more people into it. Uh, it's, of course, we should acknowledge um, that the majority of people don't pay inheritance tax. It is on estates that uh, are worth over, I think it's 300 and something like 325, it may be 365. I just need to check yeah. that. Um, so not everybody pays this uh, on the estates of uh, their loved ones. But because of the rise in property price values, a vast number of people do. And essentially, you are taxing assets that people have worked all their lives to pay to pay for right. and have repeatedly been taxed on in every other imaginable well, this is way. Well, this is the unfairness of it, isn't it? Because all of the money that they have managed to put together has already been taxed. Absolutely. And it is fundamentally unconservative. And we have the highest and most punitive rate of inheritance tax, I think, in the world. Mm. If you look at other countries, they just don't do this. I mean, America essentially only taxes inheritance on multi-million pound estates, mm. on a kind of normal level of leaving stuff for your loved ones. I mean, something in the 300,000s, if you're going to include bricks and mortar, you know, we're not talking very rich people here. Yeah. No, exactly right. And that's the trouble. You know, these tax rates catch an awful lot of people. I mean, it was not like that long ago. We, we were pointing out to, to those in the NHS and, and train drivers and all the rest of it and teachers that they might want to be careful what they wish for, because if they do get pay rises that take them up into the next level of tax, they won't actually benefit from it anyway. And that's the thing. And this is the route that the Conservatives have gone down. They are taxing people to such a punitive degree that it is actually... <clears throat> having a negative effect mm. on people's motivation to keep on, on working and therefore growing the economy. But I think the inheritance tax thing is highly symbolic. Mm. I think it could be a massive win for the Conservatives politically amongst their own voters, those who want to vote for them, if they just scrap the thing.
Yes, I think it's a very good idea. Let's hope they see sense and do it. And maybe with the election coming up, they will start to see sense one of these days. Let's talk a little bit about Oxford. Applications at a 20-year low, apparently. Um, not quite sure why, but uh, we're told that there's a lot more people going to Oxford and Cambridge now from state schools than, than there ever were, and it's a much more fair system than it ever was. I don't know uh, about that. I don't know whether you know about that. Um, but should we be bothered about this? I mean, considering we've got so many foreign students coming into the country, according to those figures from last week, um, loads of them coming in on student visas, presumably they're not going to Oxford. Well, as you pointed out, you know, Oxford isn't doing a great job of advertising itself as a um, as a seat of, of learning uh, when it seems that the, the, the students, or some of them at any rate, are, are very highly motivated to shut down the kinds of debate we'd like to see in universities and you'd think was part of actually the learning journey at that stage. Mm. Um, I'm very concerned about the... Uh, active discrimination against children from private schools uh, because this is very politically motivated. Mm. It's a kind of uh, left-wing agenda to, to attempt to equalise everybody. The nonsense of that is to actively discriminate against people who have had the best possible education just for the sake of it seems to be completely absurd, you mm. know, completely counterproductive. Uh, most children don't get to choose whether they go to private schools or not. And most parents only put their children in private schools in an act of utter despair at the quality yeah. of state provision around them. Well, this so, is, again, one of the modern myths, a bit like the inheritance tax, an awful lot of people, because uh, I used to argue for the abolition of private schools on the basis that, you know, it would make the state system an awful lot better. But I would always get a lot of complaints from, from ordinary families who said, you know, we work very hard to put our kids into them. We're not privileged, we're not wealthy, but we do manage to find the money because our state schools are so bad that we have to have the choice. And so I've since kind of changed my view on that, really. Well, the market is the market. I mean, I, I send my children to to private schools. They have all been in the state system. Um, our local school was a failing um, school that was for many years in special measures mm. and is still hauling itself out of that. Um, and during the pandemic, my kids were sinking. Yeah. Um, and so I took that decision. Uh, it absolutely destroys me financially. Uh, it is horrendous for most parents. You know, unless you happen to be a banker or have a huge amount of inherited wealth, uh, then it is very, very difficult to afford private school fees. Parents don't do this as some kind of flippant, snobbish thing. Hmm. They do it because giving your children the best possible education, apart from giving them a, a happy and stable family home, is pretty much the best thing you can do mm. for them. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, the spectre of children having come out of that system and then finding it very difficult to get places at the best universities because some lefty has decided that they've had too many advantages in life and therefore uh, they shouldn't be let in, um, is, a, is a really disturbing mm. one and a distortion of the kinds of values that we should have. Yes. Uh, which of course, should include giving people from less advantaged backgrounds and the least good schools who are nonetheless very bright, of course they should be given as much opportunity as possible to go to the best institutions. Yeah, I think so, because a bit like the, the, the sort of abolition of the grammar schools in much of the country, uh, all that ended up happening was a sort of dumbing down of all of the systems. And, the, and instead of levelling up, it sort of just all went down a bit, didn't it? 
But the other thing is, and really important, is that far too many young people are going to university when they would be better just getting into the mm. workplace. You know, if, if anything, the last few years of the pandemic, the grotesque ripoff of a generation of students who are now left with tens of thousands of pounds of debt, having had a wholly inadequate, totally unsatisfactory university experience, should be a real reminder um, that university is not the be-all and end-all. A lot of people would build careers quicker, faster and more rewardingly by getting involved in some of the amazing apprenticeship schemes that there are out there, going and starting their own businesses and so on. Mm, Exactly right. Isabel, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Isabel Oakshark, Talk TV's international editor. Uh, You'll also see Isabel on Plank of the Week this week because she's part of the panel, uh, which is coming out 7 o'clock, of course, on Friday. Not to be missed. Big Friday night television here uh, at Talk TV. Coming next, we're going to talk about ITV uh, with Jerry Hayes. He's a barrister uh, because he knows about the barristering thing, because there's another barrister who's been called in uh, to do an external inquiry into what happened and Schofield Gate, or Scofgate, if you want to call it that. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up later on, Angela Levin joins us. She's going to tell us why she thinks it's also a great idea uh, that Harry and Meghan have run out of things to say. I couldn't be happier. I literally couldn't be happier. <laughs> But there's plenty for us to say. Don't worry. Uh, the front page of the Daily Mail this morning, this morning in meltdown, it says humiliated ITV forced to order a Schofield inquiry. Uh, and they basically decided to hire a barrister. They're bringing in a barrister uh, to find out what happened and whether this morning has a toxic culture. Who better to talk to than Jerry Hayes, barrister, former Conservative MP, of course. Uh, he was making quite a lot of noise last night at the Jeremy Carl show, I have to say. Uh, Jerry, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. You were I mean, winding them all up last night like something well, rotten. I thought, I wish I was there to put you in your place. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I regard it as missionary work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this Gofield thing really is not as exciting as everyone seems to make out. The only interesting thing about it all is that he appears not to be as nice as he comes over. Well, shock horror, TV presenter is not a nice person and sometimes bullies. Well, you say that, Jerry, but I think you may be under-egging the pudding slightly because here's what the problem is for ITV. Uh, they appear to have had several inquiries internally uh, which didn't find anything out at all. Um, so yeah. what we're now being asked to believe uh, is that nobody there knew what was going on, which may well have been a breach of just not just company policy, but it may have been a breach of all sorts of other things. Nobody's really sure. But what, was, what we can say um, is that those who have come out and said it was a very toxic culture at ITV, who have mm. watched the share price go down by 60% since Carolyn McCall has been in charge, who have watched the dividends falling rapidly, um, and who have watched many, many people uh, being either managed out of the business or uh, made to sign NDAs in order to not to say anything about what was really going on. I mean, it appears to be what can only be described as a bit of a nest of vipers. Yeah, well, shock horror. Uh, me, me yeah, it's a public company, Jerry. People. It's a public company <laughs> with responsibility to shareholders yeah, and to the non-executive yeah. directors. So I think your flippancy is all very well, but I think you mean, yeah. might take it a bit more seriously. Yeah, well, OK, you're right to criticise me on this. But at the end of the day, it's all about money, isn't it? It is all it's about all money, all yeah. About money. And if I was They're a shareholder in ITV, I would want to know how many people have you paid off how much yeah. money has gone through the yeah. system? How yeah. much has been said to be redundancy yeah. when it wasn't? All of that. Yeah, that is the story. 
You've got it absolutely spot on. Of course. Whether he was having an affair with this boy, everyone knew on the media. Um, not a shred of evidence that anything illegal was going on. I mean, I think that's... Uh, yeah. That's, no, that's, listen, that's I, I think the story is no longer about Mr Schofield. It's now about yes. ITV. What did they absolutely know? When did right. they know it? And what have they done with all the money? Well, exactly. And of course... Um, that all the people who are coming out of the woodwork are saying, oh, you know, they treated me pretty badly. Mm. But I'm afraid very often media executives do. There's a special place in hell for media <laughs> executives. You know that. We've all come on I do. with them. Yeah. So well, I used to right. be one. I, yeah, of course you did. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. This is the story. I mean, why they've got a... I, I suspect it's um, diversionary tactics yeah. to have this QT coming in. Because I don't think there's any issue about safeguarding. The boy was 19. He didn't need a chaperone. I remember I used to do a radio show for Kelvin McKenzie. Mm. And my producer, who is now Nigel Farage's producer, we suddenly discovered he was 17. Mm. So we had to have a chaperone. Right. I mean... Well, this yeah, is the thing. The I mean, but let me ask you that, that from the yeah. legal perspective, um, I don't know whether yeah. you know this particular barrister who's coming in. No, I don't. Um, but she's being asked to investigate. Well, what sort of powers will she have then? Well, the thing is, who's paying her? Let's well, be presumably ITV are paying her. Uh, exactly. Uh, so they will choose her terms of reference. Mm. And I would imagine it will be very, very tight indeed. Yes. Uh, and they, she will want to find out what was known and of course, if two people deny that they're having an affair, that's it. There's nothing much you can do about it. Despite the rumours which have been swirling around for years, I, I, I never thought there was a particular issue there. People are having affairs all the time in the media. Yeah, um, but I mean, so for example, in most, but in most media companies, and you will know this as a, yeah, as, yeah. a as a lawyer, yeah. there are very very strict rules of of, of engagement in which normally yeah. it, you are, if you are having a relationship with yeah. somebody on your team, yeah. you're supposed yeah. to inform your line manager. Absolutely right. Yeah. Right. Um, but obviously they. So didn't so if they didn't I do that, that's already a breach of company policy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. But we need to know what the company policy was. Uh, we need to know whether they had a deliberate blind eye. Because once you're a real, real TV star on these sort of ghastly programmes, um, you get what you want, don't you? Yeah. You really do get what you want. Yeah, but, that, but, that's, but that's the other thing, right? Because uh, on Tuesday of, the, of next week, Ms McCall, if she has any cojones, uh, will be appearing yeah. before... Uh, our friends in the Department of yeah. Media, Culture yeah. and Sport uh, in front yeah. of that committee where yeah. she will be asked questions about what she knew yes. and, when she, and when she knew it. And if she says, well, I didn't know anything, I think there's going to be quite a lot of incredulous looks flying around. Well, exactly, because we all knew. Everyone on the internet knew. Everyone on Twitter knew what was going on. Mm. And I didn't think it was, a, it was a particular issue. But like all these things, it will be the cover-up, which is the story, if there is a cover-up. Yeah. And that's their problem, yeah. you see. And, and, so, and so as far as the uh, independent inquiry goes, um, yeah. you know, this will not go away for ITV. No, I mean, I still think, the, and the problem for, for Karen McCall and others there, Kevin Ligo and others, um, yeah. is, is that they have pr pr sort of um, proclaimed their innocence and they've presided over what can only be described as um, a show uh, with another word yeah. in front of it that I can't say on the radio. Yeah, but that's right. But, of course, there's going to be a blood sacrifice here. Mm. The question is who? Who's going to be thrown out of their ear? It won't be the head of ITV, I suspect. Well, it might It'll be. It'll either though. be dear old Martin Frizzell 
or, or um, LIGO. Right. And from I know you're not an employment lawyer, but from the point of view, no. say, for example, of Mr Frizzell, say he was to be the blood sacrifice, you know, what happens then? You know, does he have a right to sue for unfair dismissal because it wasn't well, really him, because it was somebody upstairs? <laughs> this is the trouble, because everyone knows something which is going to be embarrassing to management. Right. And they all want to keep it under wraps, otherwise the, sh- the share price will go into free fall. Yeah. And that's the problem for, for ITV, that this is why, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, uh, yeah. they have been humiliated. They will have to make some massive changes because, quite frankly, unless they do, the shadow of this will be cast for a very long time. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Anyway, it's better than talking about Prince Harry, isn't it? Well, I mean, he's got nothing left to say, so we won't have to talk no. about him anymore. I'm delighted. No. Now, here's another question for you with your legal oh, hat on. My question is about Dale Vince, um, who runs Ecotricity, a big um, sort of eco energy company. Yeah. He also happens to own a football club called Forest Green Rovers who have just been relegated out yeah. of the Football League. Um, he has quite openly admitted to bankrolling Just Stop Oil. He's given them at least several donations, some of which have, have accounted for about a million quid. Now, yeah. if they are using those donations to commit criminal acts, and they commit criminal acts when, because they're being arrested by the police, is he not aiding and abetting a crime? I'm not going to go into that. Why not? Uh, be- because I don't know enough about it. And I really am not going to make a But you're a lawyer. Hey, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But well, I, I also know a little bit of libel as well. So, no. Oh, it's I'm not, not about libel. Listen, Dale Vince is a guy that we get on this show on a regular basis. Yeah. And I'm going to get him yeah. on and ask him if he doesn't think he's able to do I think that's the best thing to do. I right. think that's the best thing to do. Is that the best legal advice you could give me at £55,000 an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I give all my legal advice to you, Mike, for nothing. No, well, that's because it's not worth I'm anything. Just about to be called, called, I've got a gown on. I've got to put my wig on because I'm. Go on, off you go. Go defend some more. Go defend some more violent criminals. And off you go. Uh, here he is, Jerry Hayes, uh, barrister and former uh, Conservative Party MP. Uh, he doesn't want to have libel Dale Vince. Well, why not? Of course, nobody's going to libel him. It's a perfectly valid question. I'm going to put it to Dale Vincent one of these days, as to why he thinks it's OK to continue to give money to Justin Paul. Today, for example, they're holding up the coach that's taking the England cricket team to Lords uh, for a test match with Ireland. And for some reason, um, you know, there's plenty of these characters that keep coming out of the woodwork. And the reason is because they're all getting paid to be agitators, to be demonstrators, um, by money which is coming into Just Stop Oil. I mean, only yesterday, Dale Vince promised to match any donation made to Just Stop Oil and give the same amount again to the organisation. This is why they can't be stopped, because there's so many of them and they're getting paid to do it. It's outrageous. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a bit chilly out. It's the 1st of June, which I haven't really mentioned yet. I probably should have mentioned it because uh, uh, it's always worth mentioning when you enter a new month, you pass over the Rubicon uh, into what can laughably be called summer. Because uh, it's not very warm at the moment, certainly not down here in London. It might be where you are. Uh, if it's warm where you are, then good luck to you. But, uh, you know, Wimbledon's not very far away. Uh, the Derby coming up, of course, at the weekend. The FA Cup final, which always is the kind of harbinger of the summer. I always used to remember as a child watching it and remember thinking, oh, look, the sun beating down on Wembley. You can't see the football very well because there's a big bit of shade over there and a big bit of sunshine over there and the cameras don't adjust terribly well. And how do you know that it's that weekend now coming up? I'll tell you how you know, because there's a train strike. You won't be able to get to the FA Cup final by train, which is particularly unfortunate considering the two teams in it are both from Manchester. But let's talk to Simon Calder, uh, who is, uh, it says here, travel correspondent, surely travel guru to the stars at the Independent. Simon, a very good uh, morning to you. 
Uh, good morning, Mike. On my list, it says cheap and available, but uh, there we are. Uh, very nice to talk to you from Britain's busiest railway station, London Waterloo, this morning, mm. where actually things are going pretty well. Uh, no great holdups, but of course, that's going to be a very different story tomorrow yeah. when the RMT union goes on strike. And then on Saturday, as you say, 3rd of June, Derby Day, FA Cup final day, and uh, no trains running then because of the as-left drivers strike. And yes. if I may, I'll, I'll just sort of explain there's a very significant difference now. I mean, we're, we're now basically a year on. It was last June that uh, the first national strike since the 1980s began. And so I dare say your lovely viewers would like to know about what's happened since then. Yeah. Well, um, all the kind of, as it were, the... the, the um, more marginal issues have been settled so that, um, for instance, the Travel Transport Salaried Staffs Association and Unite have all um, si signed agreements. Um, the main rail union, the RMT, has signed an agreement with Network Rail, who are in this office behind me, and that's all done and dusted. What we're now at is over a dozen train operators, including all the long distance operators, that's LNER, Avanti West Coast, Great Western, Cross Country, Trans Pennine Express, and basically most of the really important uh, uh, commuter uh, lines as well yeah. in England. And, and luckily, if you're lucky enough to live in Wales or Scotland, you won't really notice because um, your, your local trains are going to be running. It will be a problem if you want to get to England. Anyway, the RMT. Um, and ASLEF are both sort of on the same side in the sense that they say um, we need a decent pay offer. Um, the government, which is ultimately going to sign everything off, has, has agreed 4% last year, 4% this year. Um, they say we basically want more than that and we don't want any strings attached. The government says, have you seen what's happened to rail finances? Um, have you seen how many billions we poured in to run mm. empty trains during COVID? Of course, you're going to have to make changes to your working practices. And that's where we are. Right. And that's where we've been since last year. Um, RMT, I think, are closer to an agreement. In fact, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, Mick Lynch, the boss of the RMT, I think was uh, really quite surprised that his union, the executive committee, just basically said, no, this offer is rubbish to the last one. Um, but the train drivers, led by Mick Whelan, my goodness, they just say, yeah, we'll keep going till Christmas yeah. if we need to. Well, this is the we, thing. We don't care. I mean, the bit that you missed out there was that they're both in agreement on many things, Aslef and uh, the RMT, mostly on uh, trying to get rid of the Tory government, because uh, that seems to be their main aim in life. Mick Whelan claims he didn't realise that it was the FA Cup final when they decided to call the strike on FA Cup final day. And it's purely coincidental uh, that people won't be able to get down. Uh, but will it be that sort of... Because RMT, I know yesterday's Aslef strike meant that there were really hardly any trains at all running. When the RMT go on strike, it's not quite as bad usually. I mean, will there be any trains running at all? Oh, yeah. And it, is, it shows the real difference, Mike. So uh, basically, your, your rail ticket for the past year has been something of a lottery ticket. Yeah. But these days, we know that if the RMT goes on strike, many people will be able to get where they need to go. So right. let's take um, the West Coast main line. That's Avanti West Coast mm. running from Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow, but uh, West Midlands into London Euston, mm. there will be a half decent service between about 7.30 in the morning and 7 in the evening. Um, and that's repeated on an awful lot of lines. It has much less effect 
than the driver's strike. Right. So, yeah, if you want to plan a journey tomorrow, there's a fairly good chance you'll make it. But come Saturday, when it's the um, uh, train drivers once again going out on strike, they basically closed out everything on Avanti um, and, and TransPennine Express and Cross Country and so mm. on. Um, LNER um, on the East Coast mainline and Great Western will be running a sort of service. But um, it's... You know, it's pretty grim and of course people are thinking well what do we do mm. um do we just plan our lives around the um strikes or do we think um actually there's other ways of traveling and let's uh, let's let's just work out what they are it's it's a absolute mess and the fact that it's um been going on for a year is uh, to the immense um uh uh diminishment of all parties it, I think it so. just shows you know, yeah and it just encourages people not to book tickets on trains really unfortunately but let me let me finish up with uh, it's it's still half term week there'll be people coming back from parts abroad i guess over the course of the next few days of the weekend um, we had a problem with the e-gates at heathrow we learned today um that uh, a home office source says that basically the reason for the glitch was that somebody upgraded the system um, on Wednesday before the weekend. Now, you and I both know whenever the computer geeks get together and start upgrading things, it all starts to, the wheels all start to fall off. Uh, yes, very much so. So six years ago, <laughs> um, this week, British Airways completely collapsed, imploded for, uh, yeah, the, the uh, uh, two, three days at the start of the half-term holiday yeah. and the uh, bank holiday weekend and that was exactly the same thing it, it, somebody was sort of fixing something i think they turned something off yes and then they couldn't quite turn it back on again and the entire operation was came to a halt it is um quite remarkable and i yeah i'm not an it specialist but i do talk to them and they say look you, you do not do these things so that there is any risk that you can um turn something off or make an adjustment and that's going to uh, wipe out everything you do it bit by bit you monitor what's happened and then you um, you gradually roll it out. Yeah. But for the whole of the UK's um, e-gates suddenly to be unavailable was um, a terrible embarrassment, extremely inconvenient, and yet another sign yeah. that things don't seem to be going terribly well, Mike, no. as you point out. Well, indeed, every day. I mean, if I ever see an engineer looming anywhere near this uh, show when it's on, I always tell them to, to get lost and come back when somebody else is on. They'll fix it then. <laughs> Yes, but um, anyway, I'm, I'm among the Are you many, off anywhere exciting for the next few weeks or days? Of course, life is one long holiday, so I'm off to um, beautiful Scandinavia because it's due. It's going to be midnight sun in the Arctic off there first thing tomorrow morning. Very nice. But I will be thinking of you, Mike, and, um, and uh, of course, your, your lovely Well, don't, well, uh, don't forget, you can Just... tune in at all times from any place in the world, so, so I'm sure you'll be listening uh, I know. and or watching. Very I like good. my trip. Yes. Brilliant stuff. Simon, good to see you. Simon Calder from The Independent there. And more train strikes tomorrow, more train strikes on Saturday. But at least it won't be as bad as it was yesterday because it's an RMT strike. So you actually will be able to get some kind of train. It will probably just be slower. Uh, it will be more unreliable. Uh, but it will actually get you from A to B eventually. But if you're in a hurry, uh, you might not want to use it. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Yvonne in Telford says this, Mike, how many more countries are we going to be paying to take in France's illegal migrants? Shouldn't Macron be doing this? We should have turned the boats back from the beginning. But once again, the UK wants to look good and kind on that world stage, except for the British public, instead of growing a spine. Macron must be laughing his socks off. Uh, and one from uh, Ian. 
uh, or Len, sorry. Uh, it says, if Harry is keeping quiet, then why is James Corden going back to the USA to chat to him? Plus, Harry has to behave himself because of his pending visa inquiry uh, on his drug habits. Mike, you're absolutely correct about Dale Vince. On his own admission, it is a criminal conspiracy, says Mick. Uh, useless Rowley and his dysfunctional force do not know the law or don't want to. Uh, very possibly so. And James says, hi, Mike, uh, James in Kent, I would like the WhatsApp correspondence of Witty and Valance to be submitted to the COVID inquiry as well. Well, I think a lot of people would like to see an awful lot of WhatsApp messages. And it may well be that the COVID inquiry is going to have to take an awfully long time to actually get their heads around the amount, sheer amount of words, because there'll be millions and millions and millions and millions of words in thousands and hundreds of thousands, probably, of messages. And whether or not they've got the bandwidth and the ability to check that all out remains to be seen. But let's talk to David Spencer now, Head of Crime and Justice at the Policy Exchange, former Detective Chief Inspector, of course, because quite a few things have come up over the course of the last few days. One being the police's decision uh, in metropolitan police land in London uh, to no longer attend um, events which involve people with mental health issues. They're basically going to say, uh, we're only going to go and see people and we're only going to attend situations if there is a life-threatening scenario going on. Of course, critics of that say, well, anything could be life-threatening. But in the end, you have to take a view. And a lot of people, uh, I think, are on the side with the police on this because they say, look, they can't do everything. They can't be social workers and ambulance drivers and police officers at the same time. Um, also, we've got uh, the possibility, apparently, of a sabotage to come, uh, as it was at the Grand National uh, at the Derby on Saturday in Epsom, Animal Rising. Uh, of the crowd that tried to get into Aintree for the Grand National and found themselves rather flummoxed by some pretty tough policing. Let's find out from David what we can expect. David, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Good thanks, to see you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, let's kick off with, with the weekend. I mean, people are going to be struggling to get to Epsom because there are not going to be as many trains as we thought there might be. Um, but there's a possibility of a disruption. What, what, do you, what can you tell us? Well, uh, obviously, this has been reported over the last uh, over the last few hours. Um, certainly, uh, if there is any possibility of serious disruption, then the police need to deal with it pretty robustly, and they need to deal with it very quickly. Um, we saw the events at the Grand National. We saw events at the uh, Derby last year, um, and you know this is a lawful sporting event. Yeah. Um, right up there in the sort of calendar of sporting events and then it absolutely has to be allowed to go ahead without disruption. Yeah, I mean the way the Liverpool police, the Merseyside police I should say probably uh, properly dealt with uh, the people in Aintree I thought was very robust and, and, and very um, uh, very sort of laudable you know because quite often in London the police get told off for not really being hard enough on these protesters but, but in a sporting event like that particularly when involving horses running at high speed you know there's a risk that some of these idiots could get onto the, the track and, and cause a real problem isn't there yeah i mean there's a real risk to everyone involved here whether it's the protesters the public uh those the horses and those riding it, it's an absolutely uh, you're absolutely right to say how much risk there is it's a potential catastrophe so um i'm really pleased to see that the police are taking this seriously uh and i'm sure that we'll see uh, a similar sort of approach to the one that you've described from Merseyside earlier in the year. Yes. And as far as the uh, police in London are concerned, I mean, they seem to be taking a slightly more robust approach now to just stop oil. Um, you know, we saw them out this morning actually getting in the way of the London, uh, the, the, the England cricket team bus going to Lords, um, which was a bit unfortunate. Um, and Johnny Bairstow actually put a picture out uh, about it all. So I hope that they've managed to get to Lords to play their test match with uh, Ireland today. Um, but I think Sir Mark Rowley's right, isn't he, when he says that the police can no longer commit to attending every single mental health call out that they get. I completely agree. And the reality is that people like you and me, 
Mike, uh, holding the commissioner to account for driving down crime and dealing with disorder across London. And the reality is if police officers are dealing with other public services mm. work, they're not going to be dealing with the crime and disorder threat, um, which people like you and I are holding the commissioner to account for. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely the right thing to be doing. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, there are some in the NHS who are saying, oh, this is going to be a problem for us because there's going to be a knock-on effect and we're going to have to pick up the pieces. But I mean, how do you deal with all of these sort of rather um, in, in sort of growing numbers of people who who aren't necessarily committing crimes, but are in a bad place in some way. I mean, who is going to deal with them? I think the important thing to remember about this is that the commissioner has not just come up with this idea overnight. This is a programme and an approach which has been trialled and introduced in forces all over the country. So it's been done in Humberside, South Yorkshire, other places as well. Um, and this is now the national standard for policing. So it is a positive thing to see that the commissioner is taking this step. But this isn't just something that's happening on a whim. This is something which has already been in place for a couple of years in some parts, some parts of the country. Right. I mean, is there other things that the police get themselves involved in that they needn't, uh, which might you know, sort of uh, free them up to do other things? Well, hopefully we'll be seeing other announcements from the commissioner about some of those sorts of things. So, um, you know, whether it's uh, and you've talked about it yourself, sort of things like uh, Twitter arguments uh, that the police yes. shouldn't be involved in. And you've talked about that here. I'm sure we've talked about it before. So there are other things which the police shouldn't be getting involved with, undoubtedly. And the reality is by focusing on the things that really matter, which we, the public, expect the Met to be dealing mm. with, crime, disorder, violence, then they're going to be able to do a better job and you know, the commissioner will head the Met in the right direction. Well, that would be good because, I mean, I saw some police the other day and I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder what they're doing. And they were standing basically to the entrance of the Rotherhithe Tunnel. Uh, there was about two cars and about four officers, three or four officers. And it turned out, and I checked what it said on the side of the car, it turned out they were, they were Metropolitan Police, but they were seconded um, to TFL to check for emissions for cars and so they were basically sort of stopping random cars going in and out the tunnel to see whether they were um, breaching emissions and I thought to myself these are three working police officers surely they could be doing something a bit more useful. Yeah it's, I mean that's not something I've heard of um, police officers doing um, I'll take your word for it that. Oh uh, yes I definitely doing. saw them <laughs> yeah. I would have uh, taken a picture of them except I was driving. Indeed, I, and you're doing right not to use your phone when you're driving, Mike. Of course, we don't want you to get in trouble. Of course. But I think, you know, one of the realities is that a lot of criminals use the road network to commit offences, to get get to and get away from their crimes. Traffic police officers do a pretty impressive job when it comes to crime um, and getting those people arrested and off the roads. Um, and we're not just talking about people speeding. We're not just talking people doing sort of emissions or that, that sort of stuff. We're talking about hardened criminals who use the road network to get about to commit crime. Um, so, you know, the fact that we've got traffic officers out there watching for those sorts of things is a positive thing. I strongly suspect they weren't just there for emissions. They were there for other reasons. Well, as well. They, 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 had on, they had on the side of, of their vans the commercial vehicle unit. So it would seem to, and I looked up what the commercial vehicle unit does, and it's entirely attached to the TFL, and it's entirely attached to checking uh, things like vans and, and cars with, with, with sort of commercial intent, if you like. Well, certainly my experience from the traffic officers that I know um, is that as well as doing that sort of work, um, you know, dealing with speeding and this this sort of stuff, they are really trying to stop criminals moving about on the road network. Yeah. No, no, I'm sure that they're, that, they're that might very, be a byproduct. They're very proud, very proud that they don't just do 
speeding and traffic sort of enforcement that they do crime work as well very proud of that and rightly so yeah no absolutely and i mean i must admit i also do see on a regular basis because i do drive around quite a lot quite a lot of cars being pulled over uh, which are obviously being searched by the police for nefarious uh, you know properties and maybe stolen goods and maybe drugs yeah, that's right. I mean, it happens all the time. The reality is criminals need to get about the city and get about the country. And the way they do that often is in those cars. And uh, it's quite right. They're getting stopped over, pulled over and turned over by the uh, by the police. Yeah, exactly right. Good to talk to you, David. Thank you very much indeed. Head of Crime and Justice at the Policy Exchange, former Detective Chief Inspector, uh, Mr. David Spencer there with um, a pretty far, firm endorsement of the police's decision. On the other hand, of course, we've got the Royal College of Psychiatrists uh, who have actually obtained... Um, so what can only be described as misery from this decision. They say it's unhelpful, uh, basically, that the police have said that they won't be now helping people out. Uh, they say it's not appropriate. Uh, they basically say it's potentially alarming. Because what the police have done is they've imposed this kind of deadline of September uh, as to when they're going to stop actually, you know, attending these events which they get called in to look out for. Uh, Brian Dowd, Deputy Chief Executive of Rethink Mental Illness, says uh, the Met have simply imposed an artificial deadline and threatened to walk away. Uh, and he says that is not appropriate. But what else are they supposed to do exactly? We'll take your calls on this. I mean, if you want the police to attend a crime, then you have to say that there's only so many police to go around. And if they're attending other things so they can't attend the crime, then you can't have it both ways, can you? And I think it's better for them to say they're not going to go to these uh, events where somebody might have a mental health problem because it's not their job. Surely that's the NHS's job, isn't it? 0344, a 499, 1000 uh, is the number. Uh, here's one from Dinah, Nick and Sally. Did we just hear that Bulgaria is going to help the UK? How much is this going to cost? And we hope the Turkish boat builders are not compensated for loss of business. Well, <laughs> well those are good points as well. Uh, we've got loads more to do. More of your calls coming up. And then in the 12 hour, we're going to be talking about Harry and Meghan. Harry, we've got nothing left to say. Nothing. I've got nothing. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Plank of the Week coming tomorrow, 7pm. You won't want to miss that. It's got a particularly good panel on it. Uh, and of course, we can't give away who might become the winner, uh, but the winner will, exu- will be uh, exhumed in full uh, course, of course, of what's going on. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be talking to Andrew Levin, Royal Biographer, our favourite Royal Biographer, uh, all about Harry and Meghan, because the good news is... Harry puts a sock in it, according to The Sun this morning. Uh, Apparently, they've got nothing left to say. They've decided not to speak anymore. No more Netflix documentaries, no more second books on the spare and the air. Uh, She's not going to do any books either. Now, it occurs to me that it may well be that they've actually decided this themselves without... Uh, any kind of reference to anybody else. On the other hand, it might well be that people have actually said, although his first book was a bit of a success, there might not be much of an appetite for a second one because at the end of the day, uh, what else can he say? Uh, What more lectures can they give us? I mean, how are we all going to survive without their wonderful advice about service? Uh, What you want to do is have service and be nice to people and be kind to people. Um, but who can forget all of the nastiness and the bullying uh, and the dreadful stories about Meghan and Harry when they were here uh, working as part of the royal family? Now that they've gone off to California, IA, as to supposedly make a new life for themselves, 
they've got nothing left to say. Well, I, for one, am absolutely going to applaud them. Uh, and if they can keep quiet for at least 20 years, that would be all right with me. Uh, Sean has sent this in. Mike, DLR is not fully driverless. A train captain who can drive the train is on board at all times and also drives it to and from the depot. They went on strike in 2018. Dummy. Now, that seems a bit... Um, unnecessarily rude. Now, when you say it's not fully driverless, uh, when it runs, it doesn't have a driver. That makes it driverless. So, Sean, I'm afraid you've been hoist by your own ridiculous pedantic petard. But thanks for calling. Uh, we, we love you, really. Um, here's the thing. Um, did we just hear... Oh, no, no. no. Um, just tried to uh, get the accounts with Just Stop Oil. Uh, their press office have said that they did not keep any. Surely this is illegal, especially as the group have had millions of pounds of donations over the past year. This needs looking into by journalists such as yourself. Jake, that's a very good point. I know that... Uh, uh, people have looked into Just Stop Oil in the past and found that they've got some kind of ad working address somewhere, um, I think in um, a small town, provincial town somewhere in Britain. So we should look into that. We will look into it. We will find out. Because uh, I might ask Dale Vince, once he gives them that money, who actually gets it? What do they do with it? How do they disperse it? And how do they pay tax on it? That would be my first question. But let's talk to Angela Levin, uh, because we've got far more important things to discuss. Harry and Meghan literally have got nothing left to say. The greatest news ever, Angela. Very good afternoon to you. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> ah, there. It makes you laugh. I mean, it's, uh, if you notice it, and I'm sorry to disappoint you here, right, <laughs> but when there's some sort of catastrophe, big or small, mm. catastrophes are always big, I suppose, yes. um, they come out with a whole reel of things to make you feel that they've moved on and yes. everything. All right. I mean, one of them was that they were going to move out of Montecico and find a bigger house right. somewhere else. Another was that they were going to leave America and go to uh, Africa, yes. which is what I remember that one. Along. You remember that one. Um, then we've got um, Megan's memoirs coming out. What's she going to chuck them away? It, they're full of nice comments about everybody. Mm. On. And um, it's just ridiculous how they do that. And then they get a front page because I'm sure it's absolute nonsense. The other thing they said just a few days ago was that the two children, Archie and Lilibet, um, really want a grandfather. They want to get close to mm. King Charles. Well, we know why they want to do that. But any love or anything like that, how would they know they wanted to be mm their grandfather because they don't know him. I mean, you know, and will Meghan come to the UK again? Highly unlikely. So this is all sort of um, snowflakes. Yes. I just wonder, though, uh, Angela, whether the reaction to some of the things that they've been doing most recently has finally convinced them that actually um, they're not very popular anymore. You know, after he came to um, at the coronation and kind of snuck in and snuck out, hardly spent any time at all with his family, uh, came on his own, looked a bit forlorn at the, at the ceremony, very. you know, mm -hmm. sat in the same row as Andrew, you know, very much a kind of uh, secondary figure um, and, and somebody who clearly wasn't important to the king or his brother. Um, and when he saw his brother kissing, I think we spoke about this, kissing his father, um, as he was crowned king of, you know, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. You could see in his face that he was so disappointed that he'd lost all that. Then we had the ridiculous comic episode of the so-called near-catastrophic car chase in New York, which was such a crock of nonsense that America was just laughing at them. And I just think they, they may have worked out finally that they need to shut up for a while. 
Now, I think Megan's got that nature where she keeps on moving forward. Mm. If one thing fails, she's going to go after the next thing. She's going to produce these films. They're all going to be lovely, happy uh, ever after stories. Nobody wants to hear that. Mm. Nobody's interested in producers or directors, I'm afraid. They can compliment them on it, but it's not going to get in loads of money, you know, hundreds of millions of Mm. pounds, because Netflix has probably got people all over the place who would do it far better. And they don't like, Megan doesn't like being told. I think it's all um, just paint, you know, it's mm. just crazy, it's very silly. And I think it's the same thing as thinking that we're all stupid, that we don't understand what's really going on. You know, like saying to us, you must be very compassionate. Harlo, you know, what about you two? Mm. You know, you mustn't fly on aeroplanes to save the world. Okay, but they can take all these private jets. Mm. So it's just assuming that we just take it in and don't bring it out. You know, I mean, it's um, it's 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 not sad. It's just childish and yes. silly. Well, and it, I think it, they... it is. But do you not think it's possible, though, Angela, that, that, you know, Netflix have looked at what's happened in the past year and, you know, yes, they did quite well with that first uh, series, that documentary series. But, you know, is there anything in it for a second one? And the one thing about television, as we've learned this week from ITV, is that television companies are pretty ruthless. And if they smell that there's no money in something, they'll drop it like a stone. And I wonder whether they think for the moment uh, the American public, certainly, and the rest of the world has just had enough of them. Well, they can put it back, of course. They can put it on the shelf mm. and bring it down uh, later on. But this, the, to say that they're only going to be behind the cameras, it won't get them a job. No. I can't believe that. You know, they'll need propping up at all sides. Um, and I think maybe people are saying that to change the conversation, which it has done. Mm. And they'll need, obviously, some income because, you know, they like to spend money, don't they? they don't, they're not shy of, uh, you know, having rather expensive taste, particularly with his security detail and all of that. But I just think that, um, you know, there's only so much that they can say. And we saw when she made her speech in New York when she accepted that, uh, you know, award for being um, a woman, effectively. Um, you know, she's all about just, you know, talking in riddles and nonsense. And, you know, yes. it's all about you being your own hero and, you know, your service that you do for people. And it's like, what are yes. you talking about? You know, it's yeah. just rubbish. <laughs> yes, it is rubbish. And also about her same story that she's told at least 100 times about telling off an advertising agency uh, when she was a child. Yeah saying she didn't want just women in the kitchen. So she tells this all the time. But we've learned for a long time that her father said, no, it wasn't her. All the girls in the class had to write something, and she was one of them. Mm. So, but that's not interesting for her. So she makes up this story right. and, and tells it. And I think that I think that the trouble with, with Megan is that it all washes off. Mm. I don't think she feels that she should be quiet. I think she feels she's got to be worshipped and um, looked up to because she is glo- a global uh, person who, mm. who nobody else can beat. And I think when you've got that in your head and in your mind and you've got a husband who completely adores you, yeah. um, that, that you can get away with that. I don't think she can keep silent. I think that's going to be very difficult for her. But I think over time, 
Um, you know, they've obviously made a reasonable amount of money in their first couple of years in, in, in America, but, but it can't go on forever. And let's not forget oh. that, you know, they haven't been uh, feted by the top superstars. I mean, I'm told yeah. Oprah Winfrey actually is rather unhappy about the way that whole interview went and the way yeah. that it all kind of unfolded because the racism um, uh, accusation, which was the sort of the focal point of it all, turns out to be nonsense. He didn't even write about it in his book and it's never been mentioned again. And in fact, yeah. when he did the interview with Tom Bradby, he said, oh no, uh, that was something cooked up by the British press. Well, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, he said but it. Megan, they made said, the Megan hasn't said a word. Megan won't do anything negative. She leaves that to Harry. It's yeah. all positive. But in terms of money, I think it will be difficult. I think they um, pay about five million pounds a year for um, security. Yeah. Also, we've read that Harry, who is taking the whole press to court, yeah. um, is, has, a, is has got to pay half a million on mm. his side. We the you know, the plebs have to pay 300000 out of our tax. I think he should have to pay all of it. Well, so do I, actually, because mm. it was a nonsense mm. um, request. Well, I mean, this man is, is out of control. He's got six separate uh, court cases going on in the High Court. I think one is now closed, so five. But it's like, you know, get a life. Stop suing everybody. Well, this is what is so sad, because his whole way is negative. He's mm. negative. He looks at his parents and, his, sorry, his, his father and his brother and, and wants to be rude and unkind. So he's got so many resentments that it would take a year if his father wanted to sit down and listen. Mm. That's why he's probably going off to go for a long walk somewhere far away. <laughs> um, well, don't worry, because if you go for a long walk with Megan, she's always closely followed by a team of cameramen who, tell, who capture every single second of it, like they did when she went hiking with her £17,000 Tiffany watch on. Yes, well, this hiking she did on a day that she said she wanted to spend with Archie on his birthday. Yeah. Very interesting that, um, you know, she wasn't with him all the time. Where was her little boy on yeah. his birthday? Right. Um, but also the photographers that she goes to was the same company that were um, chasing them or not chasing them, taking pictures of them. Mm. So, you know, she does use that company a lot. I think it just won't happen. The thing is, what I think will happen is people get less and less and less interested. Yeah. So they talk um, as much as they like. And people say, oh, no, not this again. You know, it's like a nagger, somebody being nagging you. And you just say, oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> it's true. And what do you make of this business with the drug um, uh, situation where the Heritage Foundation, which, you know, is a right-wing think tank in America, but is calling uh, for the government to release Harry's visa application form because they, they say uh, if he, in fact, does take as many drugs as he says he does, did he say that on the form? And if he didn't, should he even be allowed to stay there? Yes, this, is de this depends whether he was honest and he said it on the form. We don't know that. And he's obviously being protected by President Biden. Yes. Um, so that makes you quite suspicious. But I think that I was looking up the facts yesterday on the USA, how they take people in and not. Do you probably know much more than me? Mm. But they do say if people are in remission, yeah. they give them a chance and will let them stay. And they keep on doing that if that person goes into remission. So if he said, I have taken these drugs, but now I'm in remission, um, it, it might have worked to slip him in. Mm. But the thing is, I think the, we will go mad if it's found out that he he did not tell the truth. Mm. He's, he's used his privilege 
as um, a senior member of the royal family to get in, when on the other hand, he's absolutely slating the royal family and slating the whole monarchy. And I think that will really be the end. That's when they'll keep their mouths yeah. shut, I'm sure. Absolutely right. Angela, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, royal biographer there uh, on the Harry and Meghan. Latest news, which is that they've run out of things to say. They're not going to do any more books, not going to do any more films. They're only going to work behind the camera uh, and they're going to do good works, like they say. Some service. Service. Normal service will resume soon. <sighs> it's a joy, isn't it? Imagine never hearing from them again. How great would that be? This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 